Hey, what's up, everybody? Happy, happy Monday. Hope you all had a fantastic weekend and you enjoyed the big fight Saturday. Uh, you got to spend some time with family, friends, and um, man, what a week. What a week we had, uh, and particularly what a weekend. Um, I got both my predictions right in the sense of who I felt would win, who would win more rounds, you know, but I actually got it dead wrong in terms of the the dominance factor, right? I mean, just two dominant performances by the two top fighters in the sport, Nayoya Inoue and Terrence Crawford. Uh, we're going to break it all down here. Um, we're going to do, uh, we're going to spend more time on Spence and Crawford because I did a, a already at last week, I did a video talking about the Inoue Fulton fight in, in detail. Of course, we'll go over it again here. But for those of you who haven't seen that, Go on my YouTube and watch it. I think I posted it last Wednesday, the day after that fight. So check that out. Uh, and then I also, I did, for the record, I did um, a live uh, Saturday night. Well, technically Sunday morning, right after Spence Crawford. But uh, we got to go into more detail here. Um, so I'm definitely going to break all that down. And uh, before I get into all that, just a friendly reminder, guys, make sure that you're smashing that thumbs up button and uh, hitting the like. I need that. That helps me out. Also, for those of you who are new to the show, pay the fee. I charge a fee on this show. It is non-monetary. All I ask, my fee, is that you spread the word about the show. You share it on your social media. You post it to your X, which used to be called Twitter. Now it's called X. I don't get that. It's it's weird. It's jarring, but now it's called X for some reason. Uh, you know, Facebook, uh, TikTok, whatever it is, okay? Just share the show, spread the word about the show. All right. Uh, that's how we build this thing. I do it 100% organically, independently. I don't pay to do ads on other people's channels and I don't buy subscribers and do all those gimmicks uh, that everybody else freaking does. Everything that we have here is organically built and 100% real, uh, natural, no preservatives, none of that crap, no artificial flavors. All right. Um, Oh, we already got a bunch of you guys in the chat. Um, yeah, look, this episode's going to be lit, okay? And uh, Sal already said, I would pay for this podcast. This is going to be a crazy one. Can't wait. I appreciate it, Sal. Uh, Giuseppe on the chat saying, uh, salute, Mike. Looking forward to this one. In my opinion, inactivity is definitely a major problem for the PBC guys. You are correct, sir. And we will get into all of that. Um, much to discuss. Much to discuss. And, and look. For those of you who follow me on Twitter, or sorry, X, <laughs> you've seen me having a little bit of fun over the last, it, it hasn't even been 48 hours, okay? It's been like, what, 36 hours about, something like that, maybe 40 hours. Um, I've been having fun, and I've been trolling a little bit, and um, just being petty, and just, I, you know, I'm honest, I, I admit it, okay? I, I'm, I'm, I, I don't want to say rubbing it in. But I'm just having a little fun at the expense of the cult. And we're going to have to talk about the cult on this episode. I know some of you guys get uncomfortable. You're like, oh, no, no, we can't talk about that. We're going to have to. We have to address the cult because they're already freaking out. I've seen tweets, and I know a lot of you here have seen them too, accusing Terrence Crawford of, guess what, loaded gloves. Have you guys seen the glove stuff already forming by the cult? And people demanding the rematch at 54. Uh, Spence was only lost because of the car accident, which was four 
years ago. It's not like it was last week. Spence only lost because he was weight drained, even though he's a career well to weight. He's never had issues making weight. Um, and, and there's even more excuses coming out. OK, and now Terrence Crawford's being called a PBC fighter by some of these guys in the cult as well to justify their anger. Uh, it's awesome. OK, so I'm going to have to address that. And just here's the reality. OK, before we get into this, here's the reality that some of you just don't want to deal with. A major grift being pushed by the American boxing establishment, but one platform in particular, which colluded with networks, the American boxing press, the sanctioning organizations, okay, used their influence and a lot of times intimidation to push a grift for several years. That grift was exploded Saturday night by this guy from Omaha who I've been thinking about this. I really think we got to start talking about Terrence Crawford as approaching all-time great uh, stratosphere, getting into that stratosphere. I don't know if he's quite there just yet, but he's on the bubble, man. Um, shout out to Robert Palmer, who, who left a, a comment on the live that I did the night after the fight. And he said that, you know, there's great fighters, and then some fighters are among the greatest and he mentioned Crawford's name. And at first, you know, I was like, eh, I don't know about that. Uh, I think it's got to do a little bit more. But, you know, in thinking about it and what he's done, uh, and we'll talk all about it, of course, um, Palmer might be on to something. Because I think I think Crawford is approaching that all-time great kind of category now. Uh, and not just with this win. It's his collective body of work. This win is just where he finally got his shine and where he blew up the establishment, which I love. And that's what I'm having fun trolling the hell out of. All right. Uh, super chat from my man, Ray Valero. I appreciate it, Ray. He says, hard work, all natural shakes from Ontario. That is correct, sir. All natural shakes here. We don't do any supplements unless protein shakes are considered a supplement. Then fine. One supplement. That's it. That and a multivitamin. That's what I do. Okay. Um, let's get in real quick. Um, oh, you know what? We got another super chat right when I was about to get started here from Chris. Thank you so much, Chris Singh. I appreciate it, brother. You're awesome, man. He says, props to Bud for diffusing the situation between camps at the presser, plus giving Errol his belts at the post-fight presser, which never happens. His class and maturity were equally as impressive as his performance. He conducted himself more like a role model. Help, he does TV now. Outstanding, outstanding post, Chris. And I completely agree. And let's add Spence to that because... I thought Spence was incredibly classy in defeat. He kind of got embarrassed Saturday night. Um, a lot of guys would have quit. He kept getting up. He kept pushing the fight. If anyone ever wanted to question Errol Spence's heart, you're an idiot at this point. He showed tremendous heart and mental uh, toughness and, and, and intestinal fortitude. And then after the fight, immediately after the fight, he just said, look, Terrence Crawford was the better man tonight. Right. He gave Crawford his credit. And to your point, Chris, uh, Crawford handled himself, conducted, conducted himself with nothing but class throughout this entire promotion after being literally just disrespected in a way that we haven't seen in decades by this promotion. And he was fighting on that promotion. Right. So all the people that were participating in this grift to push him out and box him out. He kind of had to play nice during this whole thing 
to get in the ring with Spence and get his moment. And he did that. So he had a lot to juggle emotionally and everything. And man, he was just on point this whole fight week going back and like, I don't watch the pressers and all that stuff anymore, but I've watched a couple clips over the weekend and I watched the fight again, uh, slowed it down and watched several rounds in detail. And so I'll tell you guys what I saw there. But if you look just all during fight week, it was Spence that looked a little tense. My boy, Steve Kim wrote, wrote an article talking about this and, and posted some stuff on X talking about this. Um, Spence looked nervous and tight and Crawford just looked dialed in and he wasn't talking trash. He wasn't saying anything nasty. He was just dialed in and he was kind of being the bud that we've seen all along. You know, it just, he knew that this was his moment and you could tell he was pissed off about being forced to wait five years for it. And he took it all out on Spence uh, in the ring Saturday, but not in a, in a mean way, um, not in a disrespectful way, just in a taking care of business kind of way. So props to both fighters. Um, super chat from Israel Cano. Thank you so much. He says Crawford is over Mayweather as of today. Yeah, I said it. You know, um, in terms of his run at 140 and now 147, Israel, I don't know how anybody could deny your comment. Honestly. And obviously, Floyd had a much better run at 130 and 135. Uh, Crawford, of course, fought at 135. Um, so I, I'd say Floyd had a better run in those lower weight classes. But at 140 and 147, I don't know how anybody could deny what you just said. Terrence Crawford's resume and accomplishments shit on Mayweather's. Mayweather made a lot more money, fought more, quote unquote, popular fighters. But a lot of it was opportunistic matchmaking, right time, right place, manipulating the Colt. And um, overall, I do think Mayweather rates higher, and I'll tell you why. He does have more Hall of Famers on his resume, and, and he did fight over more weight divisions. And as I mentioned before, his work at 30, 35 was superior to what Bud did at 35. But at 40 and 47, bro, I, I got to say I agree with you. I don't know how anyone, how anyone could deny it. I really don't. Uh, okay. Real quick news item. Buzzkill. Um, Better Biev. Arthur Better Biev versus Callum Smith got postponed. That was supposed to take place in a few weeks on August 19th because Better Biev had surgery this weekend. Apparently, he had a bone infection in his jaw that required surgery. That's crazy. I don't know how somebody in a developed country like Canada gets a bone infection in their jaw. I don't know what that's all about. But um, he had surgery, so that thing has been postponed. There is no date that I could see uh, yet, at least at the time I'm recording this, when they're going to bring it back. Okay, so uh, that sucks. That does suck because I was looking forward to that. And look, I think better be of has a really tough fight on his hands. This might end up being the toughest fight of his pro career to date, particularly if he's coming off surgery and another layoff, uh, which have kind of plagued his career. So um, that's going to be an interesting one to see whenever it does happen. Okay, that's it with uh, news and notes. Let's get right into the review. And again, I'm going to touch on what took place Tuesday in Tokyo, and then we're going to get to the big one Saturday in Vegas. Um, because I know that's what most of you guys are here for, right? So Naoya Inouye stops Stephen Fulton in eight rounds, TKO eight win, uh, collects two titles at uh, junior featherweight. This was his first fight at junior featherweight. Uh, 
Fulton coming into this fight had a 13 month layoff, had only one bout last year in 2022. Maybe he won a round in this fight. It'd be hard. I, I didn't even give him a round, honestly. I thought in a way it won the just swept every round, but maybe you could give Fulton one round. This was an absolute domination. Um, in a way, was undisputed at Bantamweight, right, last year, um, and then moved up to 120. That was 118. He moved up to 122, and he's got half the belts already. The other fighter who has the other two belts is a Filipino fighter, Marlon Tapales, who took the belts from Akhmedaylev in a split decision win earlier this year. Um, I misspoke in my video last week um, when I mentioned Akhmedaylev. I should have mentioned Topolis, and I, I just misspoke in that moment. So it's actually Marlon Topolis who has those other two belts. And look, Topolis or Topolis isn't a a big star. He's not a, a guy that's making a ton of money. I'm pretty sure Inoue's people can entice him to come to Tokyo later this year, maybe in December, maybe right around New Year's, where they have a tradition in Japan of of doing big fights on New Year's, right? Um, and that's a big fight over in that part of the world, and it'd be for undisputed. Can you imagine if that fight happens this year? Obviously, in a way, it would be a massive favorite. If he were able to go undisputed in two weight classes within a calendar year, because that's what he would technically have, have done. At that point, um, I don't know how anyone could deny Inoue's greatness. And I, I talked last week about Inoue being pound for pound number one. And it really doesn't matter what happens Saturday between Spence and Crawford. Look, I've since walked that back a bit because Crawford's performance was so utterly dominant. But clearly, it's between these two fighters. It's between Inoue and Crawford. 1A, 1B. Doesn't really matter which way you have it, honestly. It, it truly doesn't matter which way you have it. But if Inoue is able to get undisputed by the end of the year by fighting Topolis, I do think he'll be the guy. I think he'll solidify himself as the number one, even above Crawford. But we'll talk about that if and when it happens. I do think eventually he's going to get the Filipino uh, fighter in the ring and he's going to go for undisputed. If it's not this year, it's going to be early next year. Um, so <clears throat> the fallout and reaction to, to this fight was hilarious because the cult. So, so let, what do I mean by the cult? OK, for those of you new to the show, let me let me talk about this real quick, because uh, we got a bunch of new listeners last week. We got. Last week was a good week for the channel. We got a bunch of new subscribers. I got a bunch more followers on Twitter, sold some t-shirts around the world. By the way, if you want a Montero Unboxing t-shirt, just check out my website, MonteroUnboxing.com. But I sold several t-shirts around the world. Uh, it was just a good week. And I think it's because we finally had two big fights to talk about with really, really decisive outcomes that blew up certain narratives. And when that happens, it gets people talking, it gets them excited, and there's just more activity and buzz um, on channels like this and everywhere else, right? So um, anyway, what do I mean by cult? Every single fan base, so every single fighter has a fan base that's fanatical, right? A segment of their fan base that is absolutely fanatical and thinks their fighter can beat Jesus and Allah and Buddha and Zeus and Yahweh all on the same night with one arm tied, tied behind their back. Every single fighter has that. And now in, in the 21st century, it's really bizarre, but now every single promoter has it. Eddie Hearn in Matchroom, Bob Arum in Top Rank, Al Heyman in PBC. And now the networks 
have fanatics. There are hardcore ESPN fanatics, hardcore Showtime fanatics, hardcore DAZN fanatics, although I, I can't see how any of them are left uh, this year. But it's bizarre. But we have those cults, okay, these people that really, really do a lot of mental gymnastics to justify the, the fuckery that's going on on a certain platform or the holes in a fighter's resume, things like that. I'm saying it right here, right now. You can go ahead and book timestamp this haters because I know you're going to and post it all over your social and hate me all you want. The worst cult in boxing is the PBC cult. It's undeniable. They are the worst. They're not the only one. Okay, let me be clear. They're not. There are cults in every platform, every fighter, all of it, every, every demographic, every nationality. It exists in every corner of the earth, of, of the boxing fan sphere. But the worst of them is the PBC cult. There is a genuine mass freakout that happens when their platform struggles or their platform has um, a hype bubble burst or a grift be exposed. These guys lose their minds. Look no further than the Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder fights. And just the, the shit they just made up out of thin air. Egg weights, um, telepathy being used from the other corner, uh, collusion between the Nevada State Athletic Commission, the referee, Kenny Bayless, um, the sanctioning organization, basically accusing these people of attempted murder or collusion in attempted murder. Um, it, it, just insane. Just absolute insanity. Irrational insanity that you would expect from a child. That's what you get from the cult. And it happened this week. And it started with the, in a way, Fulton fallout, where suddenly Fulton was just this average fighter. Fulton ain't that good. No, nobody rated Fulton pound for pound. Look, I didn't rate Fulton pound for pound. I never said he was pound for pound. But the guy was the number one fighter at 122 pounds coming into this week. And that was pretty much across the board, universally recognized as the number one fighter at in that division. He also had two of the belts. He was undefeated. He had struggled in some fights. Right. It's not like he was utterly dominant. He had struggled in some fights, but he clearly won every one of his professional bouts. He was undefeated and he had two world titles. He was a unified title holder. All of a sudden now he's an average fighter. Right. And all this. And then um, uh, because it was Nayuya Inouye, who has been a top rank product and before he signed with top rank here in America, his representation obviously is over in Japan but it's a non-PBC fighter who has developed and his, his career has been guided by non-PBC management, completely destroyed a PBC guy, and Stephen Fulton has been PBC his entire career. They got to start shifting narratives and they got to find ways to like explain this all, right? Keep in mind, there were accusations of cheating for Inouye, right? Performance enhancing drugs, even though he's done VADA testing in fights before, Fulton's never done VADA testing for a single fight. I'm talking about the full VADA panel. I'm not talking about the clean boxing program because that's a joke. Uh, there were, you know, he's stacking his gloves and all this, right? 
literally Stephen Fulton's team was watching Inoue get his hands wrapped. And every like 30 seconds, Inoue would look up at him and say, is this okay? Is this okay? While he was getting his hands wrapped, he was basically trolling the shit out of them in the dressing room. Is this okay? Are you still happy? Is this good? Does this look all right? Every like 30 seconds, he kept asking them. Um, his hands were wrapped exactly to their specifications and he went out and tapped his dude's ass with no lube. Right. And so the freak out of the cult, what was glorious to witness, but it was just a tiny little sliver of what we were going to see later in the week, uh, this weekend. <clears throat> so actually let's talk about that. Let's talk about what took place Saturday night. Uh, did I see, um, any other super chats? Just want to make sure I'm not missing anything, guys. Before we continue. No, we caught up. Okay. <clears throat> Saturday, July 29th in Las Vegas. Uh, real quick on the undercard. Nonito Donaire takes a hard loss against a guy that he absolutely would have dominated in his prime. It's time for Nonito Donaire to retire. Nonito, if you're hearing this, Rachel, if you're hearing this, guys, it's time walk away. It's it, there's nothing left to prove. You've got my vote first ballot. You're going to be in the hall of fame. Okay. Uh, the most legit clean fighter of this entire era. I have 100% faith that Nonito Donaire was completely, uh, clean, never took any type of performance enhancing drug or illegal supplement. I would put my life savings on that. Uh, so one of my favorites time to retire, dude, Time to retire. Isaac Cruz uh, wins a belt by split decision, and that was just a business transaction by the PBC to justify uh, Javante Davis beating him and somehow build him up and maybe justify a rematch between the two. Um, so that was just more of a business transaction. Look, no disrespect to Isaac Cruz. He's just not an elite-level fighter. I've never thought he was. Uh, is he top 10 at lightweight? Maybe number 9, number 10? Maybe. He's kind of on the bubble. But um, – he, he might not even be a top 10 lightweight, honestly, if we're, be, if we're just being honest. But he's right there, maybe on the border, on the bubble. Um, but he's not an elite level operator. There are literally 10 guys from 130, 135 that I would say would give Javante Davis a tougher fight than Isaac Cruz in a rematch. But it is what it is. Okay, main event. Terrence Crawford, TKO9 win over Errol Spence, drops him several times, becomes undisputed at 147. Crawford landed 50% of his overall punches. 50%. I'm not talking about just power. I'm talking about everything. He landed 60% of his power punches, 42% of his jabs. He absolutely could not miss. It was a brilliant technical masterclass from Terrence Crawford who saw everything Spence was doing half a second before he did it. He needed one and a half rounds to figure Spence out from that point forward. It was pretty much one way traffic. I gave Errol Spence the first round and that was it. And I only gave it to Spence because of activity. What I find interesting as I've heard several people say uh, the following on uh, some of the podcasts and stuff that I listened to today. Well, you know, Errol Spence won the first round and half of the second round. And then that knockdown halfway through the second round changed the fight. He just couldn't recover from that. And the fight changed after that. 
No, I didn't. <laughs> Crawford was setting that up from the opening sequence of the fight, from the opening bell. I don't think he expected a knockdown off a jab, but it was due to Spence's fundamental flaws, which I'll talk about in a second. But um, if you watch Terrence Crawford, if you've studied his career, he always takes the first round off. Always. He has lost the first round to virtually everyone he's fought in the last few years. Sometimes the first two, maybe three rounds, he will take his time and download information. He really is downloading info. We always would hear about Lomachenko downloading info early on in, in the rounds, right? And, and Loma does do that. Terrence Crawford does it better. He's the best in the sport at looking at what his opponent is giving him, downloading information, and then making adjustments. Um, usually Bud will come out orthodox, and then a couple rounds in, he switches to southpaw. He started this fight southpaw, which tells me a couple things. They had him and Bomack, his trainer, they had a definitive game plan for Spence. They saw some things and game planned for it. I think they saw some of the same things I've seen and other people have seen, flaws that Spence has had for years, but they've never cost him. We'll talk more about that in a second. But they had a great game plan. Uh, to come out southpaw from the jump, that tells me, again, they saw something and knew this guy has no experience fighting southpaws. I think Spence had fought one, maybe two his entire pro career, and they were early on, um, I think mostly early on. And so um, there was a big advantage there for Crawford. But it also tells me this. I honestly think, and I've actually heard this before, Crawford doesn't really watch tape on fighters. They don't really game plan for a lot of fighters. He goes in there and just makes adjustments and does it on the fly. I think they actually watched a little film of Errol Spence. I think they sat down and watched some film. And he doesn't do that when he's fighting Benavidez, Kavaliowski, Sean Porter, like, the, you know, Kel Brook. He, he's not watching video on those guys. He's kind of going in there and winging it. He's so good, he can do that. But in this fight, I think they had a little extra prep, and I think they actually studied a little bit. And that's why he came out southpaw from the jump. I just thought that it just showed how serious Bud was taking this. It also showed that to a certain extent, he has fought down to the level of his opposition in the past. And when he finally went in there and did was 100% completely focused, holy hell, was he even better than we ever imagined. Um, just, just a masterful performance from, from Crawford. Um, so now let's talk about pound for pound. Actually, before I get into that, I want, I want to say something. Um, I've had a lot of fun trolling and stuff on social media this last you know day and a half um, and talking a lot about Spence, not him as a fighter, but the protection plan and the, the apparatus that propped up this grift for the last few years. I've been talking so much about that. I haven't been talking enough about Terrence Crawford. And that's why I wanted to start this segment talking about Crawford. He's special. He is. I don't know if I'm ready to rank him up there just yet with Floyd Mayweather, Manny Pacquiao, uh, Sugar Ray Leonard, you know, Thomas Hearns, guys like that. I don't know if I'm ready to put him up on that level quite yet. I think there's still a little bit of work that needs to be done. But he is the premier fighter, um, just in terms of what he's been able to do and how he's done it um, of the last five years. I don't know how you can deny that. He, he's, he's the guy. 
And he's gone undisputed at 140, and now he's undisputed at 147. And obviously his run at 140 wasn't that impressive because the division was weak at that point, okay? That division was weaker than the super middleweight division Canelo cleaned out a year or so ago, which was pretty weak. So um, I get it. But then he moves up to 147, where he's not only fighting opponents in the ring, he's fighting the establishment. He's fighting the system. He's fighting the machine. And it took him five years. And he had to do the bidding of what these people wanted. He leaves top rank. He crosses the street. He signs the deal with the very people that were disrespecting him and slapping him in the face for several years. Does everything they ask him to do. Finally gets his chance. Improves it. Makes his point. And he doesn't need to talk trash or be ignorant or be an asshole about it. He just goes out there and takes care of business. So his run at 147, I actually think is very underrated. And I'm going to compare Crawford's resume over the last five or so years to Errol Spence's in just a minute here. And you guys tell me who's had a better run. I, Because I, we've been told for years Spence has this amazing welterweight resume. He's beat all these great fighters. And, and uh, Bud's resume was trash. Just absolute trash. You know what? That is nonsense. Both of those points. Complete nonsense. We're going to break it down. So, real quick. Pound for pound. I've been going back and forth between Inouye Crawford. Crawford Inouye. Inouye has fought in four divisions and won belts in four divisions. Crawford's only won belts in three divisions. So there's part of me that wants to give the edge to Inouye. Inouye moved up and in his first fight at 122, fights the top guy, destroys him. It took Bud five years to get the, the number two in the division, Errol Spence, and destroy him because I always thought Bud was number one. Go back and look at the record. Um, so, so there are differences, but here's the key difference. Bud is now undisputed in two weight classes, undisputed at 40, undisputed at 47. And I get it. A lot of that's political. I do think some people mentally masturbate a little too much over the whole undisputed thing because some of the best champions in the history of boxing were never undisputed. Uh, many of the, there are several undisputed champions that don't rate near the top of the all time great list. So a lot of it is um, political at times. But the fact that he was able to do that, and again, especially at 147, where he did not have promotional advantages, and he had to fight the system to do it. I'm going to give Terrence Crawford the edge right now. I, on my pound for pound list today, what is this, uh, the last day of July, July 31st, 2023, I got Terrence Crawford number one. I got Naoya Inouye number two. I got Alexander Usyk number three. And... It's, to me, it's those three over the last few years that really have singled themselves out as the best fighters in the world. Usyk has been very, very inactive over the last couple of years, but it's not his fault. He was waited out by Joshua. That rematch kept getting delayed. Uh, he had to, you know, it was contractually mandated. He had to do the rematch. He wanted to move on, but he had to do it. And then Tyson Fury is blatantly ducking him. So um, that's not his fault. He's kind of fighting the system in the machine right now, much like Crawford had to do. But 
anyway, I, I still, I, to me, I rate those three fighters over everybody else for their overall body of work and what they've been able to accomplish in a pound for pound sense. To me, all three of them are the definition of pound for pound. But right now, I think Terrence Crawford deserves his flowers. And I think that we should rate him number one. That's just how I feel about it, guys. Um, all right, we got some more Super Chats. Let's get to it. AK with the Super Chat, thank you so much. He says, do you make anything of PBC rejecting Mike Coppinger's credentials for Saturday's fight? <laughs> Great question. Um, so, so for those of you who don't know, Michael Coppinger of ESPN apparently was not allowed to attend the fight. Now, I don't know what the hell that's about, okay? I try not to get involved in all that kind of stuff and all the gossip, but I did ask a couple of people who were there, uh, a couple of media friends who were there, and they didn't know what happened either. Um, it, I find it funny because Mike Coppinger has been one of PBC's biggest cheerleaders for years. He he bloats their pay-per-view numbers. He um, helped them with this whole grift with Errol Spence and Terrence Crawford. He was part of some of the broadcasts where they refused to even mention uh, Terrence Crawford's existence or refused to recognize the WBO. Cop never called him out on any of that stuff. So I don't know what this was about. But I will say this, boy, is the PBC sensitive. I, they, they, they blacklist a lot of people. They operate much like the mainstream media operates in a lot of ways. Um, and the other promoters, look, Bob Arabs talked a lot of shit about Mike Coppinger, right? But if Coppinger wants to get into a top-ranked fight, he gets in. Um, I, I, I've had my back and forth with all the promoters. But if I want to get credential to a fight, they let me in. But the PBC blacklisted me from covering Javante Davis. They actually blacklisted Ring Magazine from attending Javante uh, Davis fights. Um, now, I don't know if that's still going on or not, but I know it was going on for a little while. Um, they're very, very sensitive over there. And them and the cult over there are not above personal attacks like interjecting race, politics, lifestyle, all those things. Uh, per, I've been personally attacked. I've had family members personally attacked. And these attacks have been co-signed by Stephen Espinoza, Le Leonard Ellerby. These guys have retweeted some of the stuff. They've joined in on it. They regularly, regularly converse with the people that slander me, that slander my dead brother, that slander my wife. Um, they're not good people, okay? And I'm sick of trying to pretend like, trying to be nice about this. It just is what it is. Um, so it's not surprising that Mike Coppinger was, was kicked out. I don't know what it's about. I don't know what he possibly could have said or done, but regardless, if he criticized those guys, that's his job. Media is supposed to be critical. You're supposed to be skeptical and critical and question everything. If you're part of the media, when I look back at historical, legacy, classically liberal media. That's always what they did. They questioned and challenged everything. Okay, going back to Watergate, the Nixon papers, like, right, that was journalism. Nowadays, when you try to, you know, the, the people that try to talk about COVID in an honest way or the current president and his son's laptop and all that were blacklisted. They were banned. Their, their careers were ruined. 
Um, they act like a fucking mafia family right now. So I'm just going to put that out there. So that's kind of how that platform is acting in boxing. Um, and so I'm not surprised cop got uh, banned, but I, I can't imagine what it was over. Super chat from Aaron Gortman. Thank you so much, Aaron. He says, yo, Mike, that was so damn satisfying. You know what? That's, that's the word. I've been looking for the right word to sum it up, bro. That's it. Satisfying. It was just satisfying. He says, you know, I have been saying forever that Spence on the pound for pound list was an absolute abomination, especially above guys who are climbing divisions like Vasily Lomachenko. Great comparison, bro, because um, I think Ring Magazine still has Lomachenko on their pound for pound list. Like, I think like number 10. And boy, does that upset people, right? Just Loma being on the pound for pound list these last few years really upset the cult and they talk about it all the time right they make videos about it they talk about it all the time but Errol Spence was rated I want to say number four pound for pound over the last few years and I'm going to talk about this a little bit because I, I just I don't think he rated that rating I I don't see how how he was should have been <clears throat> that high on the pound for pound list I just don't see that um the fight doctor checking in with the super chat. Thank you so much, brother. He says, shout out to Montero for keeping it 100. I appreciate that, man. That's what I try to do. That's why they go after me. That's why they don't like me. I appreciate it, bro. Let, let's talk pound for pound real quick. Cause I, I talked about, you know, in a way and, 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 and Crawford. Let's talk about Spence real quick. Listen, first of all, my trolling, my rubbing it in, my having a little fun, none of that is directed toward Errol Spence personally or Errol Spence as a human being. I've got nothing but respect for Errol Spence. And in terms of like the modern American boxing landscape, he is a good, solid, professional prize fighter, a good, solid welterweight in this era. That is undeniable. And he, he has certain strengths that he's been able to use to unify three belts. Some of it, a lot of it was political, okay? Um, if he was with a different promoter, I don't think that would have happened. Maybe a different division, I don't think it happens. But he's still a damn good fighter. And I'm going to repeat it here for, for those of you just getting in on the show. I, I thought Spence showed tremendous heart and will and toughness in that fight against Crawford never stopped coming forward. You, you guys watch that fight again and look at the eighth round, ninth round, where Spence's face was busted up. His balance was gone because he was basically concussed. He was fighting concussed. Derek James, his trainer, who we got to talk about too, this is a former trainer of the year. <laughs> I don't know about all that. I'm starting, to I'm starting to second guess that. I'm one of the guys who voted for him for trainer of the year, and I'm starting to second guess that decision. Zero adjustments, zero, zero plan B. And he took his, his fighter and, and put him out there an extra two rounds that caused definitely career damaging, uh, a career altering damage, but possibly one day life altering damage. But to Spence's credit, he showed he's a fighter. He kept coming forward. Watch the eighth, ninth round. He was throwing hard punches. He was coming forward. He was trying. He was being active. He was letting his hands go. It's just that everything was being blocked. Everything was being slipped, right? And he was getting desperate. He was lunging. He was winging punches. And by then, it was just done. And that's when Derek James should have pulled the plug. 
props to Harvey Doc, <clears throat> one of the best referees in boxing, by the way. I really like Harvey Doc for stopping the fight when he did. Thank goodness he did because Spence may have been really, really hurt had he not because James wasn't going to stop the damn fight. Insane, insane. Um, but pound for pound, I want to talk about this. Okay, Spence was rated number four pound for pound by Ring Magazine coming into this. Spence has had two fights before this weekend, okay? Spence has had two fights since 2019. So 2020, 2021, 2022, and half of 2023. So in over three and a half years prior to this Bud Crawford fight, he had two fights. How can you rate a guy, number four, pound for pound, who has had two fights in almost four years? Do you know who those two fights were against? Danny Garcia, a blown-up junior welterweight, and Yordanis Ugas. Those were the two fights. Now, you tell me, guys, especially those of you who are really mad that Lomachenko was on that pound-for-pound pound list. Look at who. Spence fought two fights in nearly four years against Danny Garcia, who has never been a top welterweight. I don't care what they tell you. He's, he's just not. And Jordanus Ugas, who's a legitimate top 10 welterweight, but not on the elite level. No disrespect to him, but he's not. His claim to fame is beating a completely shot to shit Manny Pacquiao. Okay. Those are your two wins in almost four years. And that deserves pound for pound number four. I'm sorry, guys. I'm not seeing it. I'm just not seeing it. And if we go further back, um, let's see. Bah, 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 bah. Since beating Kell Brook in late 2017. Now remember, Spence goes over to the UK late 2017, fights Kell Brook, who was coming off of facial reconstructive surgery. Gennady Golovkin literally smashed his face in. Okay. Brooke had to melt down 13 pounds of muscle because he gained nothing but muscle for that fight against Golovkin. It wasn't fat. Go back and watch. He was, you know, 3% body fat in that fight. So he had to burn 13 pounds of muscle, come off a layoff of facial reconstructive surgery. And Brooke was actually beating Spence through the first half of that fight until his face betrayed him and it broke down and Spence won. Anyway, that's Spence's best win, by the way of his entire career. That is Errol Spence's best win. Beating Kell Brook coming off a loss where his face was smashed in. Literally, not figuratively, literally. That's Errol Spence's best win. That's six years ago. From that point, here's his resume. He fought Lamont Peterson, blown up lightweight. Carlos Ocampo, journeyman level fighter. And that was his last mandatory, by the way. 2018. He goes five years without a mandatory. That's interesting. We'll talk more about that later. Mikey Garcia, a blown up featherweight, a guy who was once an elite level featherweight. Sean Porter, good fighter, but never a power puncher and fundamentally flawed. Danny Garcia, blown up junior welterweight, and then Ugas. That's his resume from 2018 to date. And I'm not including the fight this weekend, okay? Again, that resume, is that pound for pound? Is that pound for pound? Half of the guys on this list are blown up smaller fighters. One's a journeyman. The only 
top level, you know, a level welterweight there, in my opinion, would be Sean Porter, who Kell Brook already dismantled years before. And I like Sean. He's a wonderful human being. Great guy. But as a fighter, obviously, he was never on that elite level. Tough guy, tough physical fighter, made for difficult fights because of his style, but was never an elite level operator. Again, guys, you need to hear this. Over the last five years, Lamont Peterson, Carlos Ocampo, Mikey Garcia, Sean Porter, Danny Garcia, Jordanus Ugas. Is that a top five pound-for-pound resume? I I don't think it is. I I just – it's just not. It's just not. Um, By the way, I looked this up. The record, the combined record of those fighters after fighting Spence, okay, and I'm not including – Carlos Ocampo in this because he fought like 10 cans down in Mexico after his loss to Spence. When he came back to America and fought Sebastian Fondora, and then he ended up fighting Tim Zhu, he lost those two fights. Okay. So really Ocampo, the only two fights that mattered, he lost and Zhu destroyed him in a round, but the other fighters were three and four. And two of those four losses were knockouts. That's what those guys did after fighting Spence. Now, I mentioned that because basically guys like Peterson, Mikey Garcia, Sean Porter, they were basically semi-retired at that point. That's why I mentioned it. Because some people are like, oh, they were just never the same after fighting Spence. Now, get out of here with that. These guys had lost before they fought Spence. All right? It's not like he took their O or something. Maybe Actually, he might have took Mikey Garcia's. But that whole fight was a business transaction. Um, Ugas hasn't fought since. So I, I think all of this is relevant. I, I really, really do. Um, and, and I mentioned what Spence has done in the last three and a half, almost four years before this fight with Bud, right? Where he fought Danny Garcia and Jordanus Ugas. In that same span, Terrence Crawford stopped, didn't just fight, but dominated and stopped. Old-ass Kell Brook, old-ass Sean Porter, yes, and David Avenesian. But I'm sorry. Even old, faded versions of Brook and Porter and David Avenesian is better today at 147 than beating Danny Garcia and Jorgenus Ugas. Yeah, I'm just going to say it. It is. And <clears throat> Bud's overall welterweight resume and I tweeted this out, by the way. It's, 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 you guys can find it on my Twitter where I named all the fighters. When I compare head-to-head and I look at the names, I, I think that we were told, and this is the grift that I've been talking about, right? We were told that uh, for years by this promotion, by premier boxing champions and their allies, at, you know, like at scene, you know, like boxing scene and all these different sites, and Steven Espinoza, the guys at Showtime, we were told that Errol Spence's welterweight run was historic, Hall of Fame level. He beat so many great fighters. There's not one Hall of Famer on his resume other than Terrence Crawford, and he waxed his ass. Just putting it out there. Terrence Crawford's welterweight resume was shit on. We were told it's trash, it's trash, because he was with top rank, and he was fighting the guys top rank could get him in the ring with. Top rank tried to get him fights with PBC guys. They offered Danny Garcia a career high payday twice. And Garcia was advised by his advisor not to take it. Okay. So they tried, but because he was with top rank and fighting 
top rank fighters or guys that top rank could get in the ring with him. His resume is trash. His opponents are trash because Errol Spence is with PBC and he's fighting mostly American fighters on PBC. He's fighting elite level opposition, the best welterweights in the world. So Peterson Ocampo, the Garcias, these are the best welterweights in the world. Are they really better than Avenesian, Benavidez, Kavaliauskas, guys like that? Are they? I don't think so. So, so the, the narrative that's been spun <clears throat> is a bullshit one. And that's why guys like me, uh, the, the guys who have been trying to tell the truth for the last five years and getting attacked for it, getting blacklisted, getting personally attacked, professionally attacked. Um, yeah, I'm having a moment. I'm having a little fun right now, reveling in this, because in the end, guys like me were proven right. And so some of you, like some people on Twitter were outraged and sent me DMs and even some just live tweets um, saying like, oh, you're trolling. You're acting like a troll. Oh my God, Mike, you know, this is so terrible. You're trolling Errol Spence. Listen, man, I'm not tr trolling Errol Spence. Okay. He deserves tremendous credit. I'm trolling his handlers, his overseers, his protectors. That's who I'm trolling. Damn right. They have been trolling us for five fucking years. Can I have five days? I'm not asking for five years. Can I just have five days? They've had five fucking years, guys. Let me share my screen. Who remembers this graphic? And I apologize that it's uh, low res. I couldn't find a high res one. But for those of you listening to the audio, I tweeted this out. Um, there was a Fox Sports, PBC on Fox uh, broadcast. Uh, and th they did this with several broadcasts. And they're showing, there's a graphic here showing welterweight champions. And they have Errol Spence with the IBF, Sean Porter with the WBC, Keith Thurman, the WBA super, and Manny Pacquiao, the WBA regular. They only showed Manny Pacquiao because they had just signed him to a short deal contract. Their goal was to uh, put him in there either with Thurman uh, and, then and Spence and build uh, those two guys up. Um, so that's the only reason Pacquiao is on there. Do you guys see anything missing in that graphic? Do you see anything missing? The WBO is not mentioned. The WBO champion's not mentioned. Gee, I wonder why. This graphic was shared on multiple broadcasts. And again, many people in the American boxing press, including a dude who got kicked out this last weekend, who knows why, uh, from covering the big fight, um, they didn't call this out. They didn't push back at all. These guys, listen, I don't think some of you are thinking about this thoroughly. For this graphic to make it on air. Now, remember, this is a, a national broadcast, okay? Somebody has to create the graphic. That has to get approved by a supervisor in the graphics department. Then it has to get sent to a producer, has to be approved, right? There is a process involved in this graphic making it to air on the broadcast. Multiple times, somebody could have stopped and said, well, wait a second. What about the WBO? Well, wait a second. Who's got that belt? Multiple times. It was absolutely a pre, um, premeditated decision to do this. And they did this for a long time. 
So when I talk about the establishment, the machine, this is what I'm talking about. My beef, my trolling has nothing to do with Errol Spence. He is just a cog in that wheel, okay? But those of us who called this out and just called out the absolute absurdity of this graphic, the ridiculousness that suddenly you don't recognize the WBO. Funny, I thought Jermel Charla right now, he's got the WBO belt, right? Canelo Alvarez, you just signed him to a three-fight deal. He's got a WBO belt. I guess your boy Spence just fought for a WBO belt. I guess you guys recognize the WBO all of a sudden. But suddenly, we don't recognize the WBO. They're not a legit sanctioning organization. But you recognize the WBA regular? You have pay-per-view events headlined with WBA regular champions against B-level opposition. You got no problem putting on a pay-per-view fight, charging fans $80, $90 for Gervonta Davis to defend his WBA regular against Raleigh Romero, but you don't recognize the WBO. Yeah, that makes a hell of a lot of sense. This is what I'm talking about, people. And I'm just, ex they expect us to just forget this. Oh, it didn't happen. Just, just, just go back to your regular life. It's, it didn't happen. Let it go. Let's just have a truce. Two wrongs don't make a right. Listen, me trolling this is not equivalent to you doing this for five fucking years. Colluding with the sanctioning organizations to protect a guy who fought twice in nearly four years not against any mandatories. You got no issue stripping guys like Josh Taylor. Oh, Josh Taylor took a shit this morning. I right, strip him. Josh Taylor sneeze. Strip him. Right? There's other fighters. Oh, this, this guy crossed his eyes. Strip him. But Jermall Charlo hasn't defended his belt in over two years. Right, that's cool. Keep that belt, homie. Jermall Charlo is moving up two divisions to fight someone. He hasn't defended his championship in over a year that's cool do what you gotta do Errol Spence can fight twice in almost four years without facing a mandatory that's cool bro do your thing but we're just supposed to let it go it's just like the, the assholes that kept us all wearing masks and kept our, our, our kids out of schools destroyed millions of small businesses um, had the the suicide rate spiking um people ODing on drugs, all this stuff. And then uh, after it all comes out that, yeah, actually masks really don't do anything. Kids are pretty safe from this. As long as you're healthy and young, you're going to be okay. Uh, natural immunity is actually more uh, powerful than the actual uh, booster shot. You know, let's have a truce. How, how many trillions of dollars uh, exchanged pockets during that entire ordeal? Um, the entire middle class was raped and if it wasn't trillions, it was definitely billions of dollars was taken from the middle class's pockets and put in the elites pockets. Uh, you guys just forget about that. We made a mistake. Let's call it trues. Yeah, no, I'm not having it. When the machine fucks up and it finally gets exposed, we got to call it out. That's what I'm doing. Okay. Um, uh, I'll talk more about this, but let me get some more super chats. We got a bunch. Holy shit. You guys are freaking awesome, man. Um, 
feeling dangerous with the super chat. Thank you so much. He says the only negative this weekend that undercar was not pay-per-view worthy. Uh, I pay you $85. I expect better. The main events delivered and a fun top rank card on Friday. Yeah. Great point. The, the undercard was absolute shit. And it's, it's okay to say that uh, many of these pay-per-view cards this year uh, across different platforms, the undercards have been absolutely terrible. Just, just God awful. So, um, if you paid 85 bucks for that pay-per-view, look, the main event for some of you is probably worth that and you probably enjoyed it. But man, they gotta do better with these undercards, guys. AK with the super chat. Thank you so much. He says Bradley has been a little heated over elbows lately on top rank cards. Is this just boxing or does something need to change? Refing replays. Uh, look, I like Tim Bradley, but he's trying to do a Teddy Atlas impression. I say that respectfully, but ESPN has a cookie cutter formula. I'm not just talking about their boxing, but all their commentary. They have a commentary team and each person kind of plays a role like a character. And Teddy, I'm sorry, uh, Timmy is playing the Teddy Atlas role. So there's always got to be something he's heated over and outraged over, whatever. Um, Bradley was accused of using his head a lot in fights and fighting kind of dirty himself. So um, the elbows and all that, I'll, unless I'm missing something very specific here, guys, I, I think that, and correct me if I'm wrong, please uh, let me know. But I think it's just him just trying to find something to kind of get worked up over and talk about and have his viral moment. And I say that respectfully, because I really do like Timothy Bradley class act human being. Uh, and I think, you know, he's definitely a hall of fame fighter right made the hall of fame um so he deserves his respect but he's kind of playing a character on that broadcast savage with the super chat thank you so much he says as a relatively new boxing fan and learning the politics of boxing especially with the pbc it's discouraging trying to get other new fans into boxing fantastic point savage and it's a fine line I tried for years to be Mr. Positive and to try to put a positive spin on things. I just can't do it, you know, and I'm at a point now where I guess maybe I'm a little jaded, but when, when, when they go after me and they attack me, it, it, they don't understand. First of all, it just helps my platform build larger. Every time these dudes attack me, I get more followers, my phone rings and I get more gigs. I just don't talk publicly about the gigs I'm getting, but I'm still working in boxing all the time and getting paid for it. Um, these guys just don't know about it. I don't talk about it publicly. But um, when they go after me, dude, I got to call them out. And you're right. It, it, it does maybe discourage new fans from getting into boxing. But here's what I would say, dude. Like, like if some of the political stuff is turning you off or turning friends of yours off, what I would tell them is, Tune out that noise and watch the two fights we had this week. Week, Watch Inouye Fulton. Watch Crawford Spence. Watch greatness. What you are witnessing when you see Terrence Crawford fight, when you see Naoya Inouye fight, are two of the greatest martial artists on earth. I'm taking this shit beyond boxing. I'm talking about all martial arts, not just boxing. Terrence Crawford Naoya Inouye, two of the greatest martial artists living on earth today. Just watching them and what they do is special. Have your friends focus on that. You know what I'm saying? 
Um, because especially in the, in the case of Terrence Crawford, um, yes, there was a lot of politics. There's a lot of things holding him down, but to his credit, dude, he weathered all of that. And in the end, he got the last laugh, right? That's why I just think he's special and he deserves to be pound for pound number one. And for the record, I rated Crawford pound for pound number one back in like 2017, 2018. I had him number one years ago. Go back and look at the videos, guys. They're all out there on my channel. Um, I I thought he was a top operator for years. Now, in the last few years, his resume has dipped. He hasn't been as active. It's been hard for him to get opponents, but I've always felt he was an elite level operator at one of the top in the sport. And now he's proven it. And to your point, Savage, as as disappointing and discouraging as all these politics are, when you see a guy break through all that and have his moment, dude, it's powerful. It's inspiring. There's nothing else like it in sports. And so boxing gives you all of humanity which includes all the nasty shit, right? This sport really runs the gamut of emotion Um, and good and bad, light and dark, good and evil, like all that stuff. Uh, You see the nastiness, you see the, the, and some people just want to ignore that, right? Some people want to ignore the nastiness of the world and politics and all this stuff, right? They just, they just want to go through life just being happy. I'm one of those guys that just wants to know the truth, even if it's nasty. Right. And I think most of you listening to the show today do as well. That's why you're here. That's what we do here. So what I would say, dude, remember, remember the lights, remember the good times, remember the the, the magic that you get. When you saw Crawford after the fight, um, I'm paraphrasing, but in the the post-fight interview, he basically said something like, man, they shunned me. They shut me out. They disrespected me. But I stuck to my guns. I believed in myself. And now I'm at top of the world. How fucking amazing is that? If that doesn't inspire you, I don't know what will. So just remember that part, bro. And that's the part in this sport that makes you get addicted to it. David Palmer with the super chat. Thank you so much. He says, loving your work, Mike. This week has me asking, how much of a mirage is the whole PBC stable? It's a fair question. Let let, let me say this. Every single promotion has their mirage, okay? And their hype jobs and their spin and their manipulation, all right? Um, The the top rank works exclusively with the WBO. I call them, we're Bob's organization because Bob Aaron basically owns the WBO, right? So all the corruption that you see between the PBC and the WBC and WBA, it's a similar level going on with Crawford, I'm sorry, Crawford, uh, Aram in the WBO, right? So, so uh, th- this stuff is, it's everywhere, okay? Um, but to your point, we're constantly told that the fighters in the PBC stable are good and great because they're in PBC. Again, Errol Spence's welterweight run was sold as this dominant, elite-level Hall of Fame worthy, pound for pound worthy run because he was only fighting PBC guys completely in house. And it just so happened that many of the top welterweights, highly rated welterweights, were in the PBC. But when you see a top rank fighter doing that and fighting all top rank guys, you would hear, man, he needs to step up and cross the street. 
and fight some of these PBC guys. Same thing with Matchroom or Golden Boy. You hear, man, these guys, they're, they're all fighting in-house over there in UK, these Matchroom cards. They need to come over and fight some PBC guys. You're just constantly sold that narrative. And in the end, when these PBC fighters do fight guys from other promotions or guys who are built up outside of the PBC universe, right? The record's not very good. It's uh, They have about a 15% winning percentage in those matchups. And there's been several dozen of them now, uh, just in the last 10 years or so. So about a 15% winning percentage when they finally go for it and fight somebody else outside the stable. Um, to me, that's pretty telling. That's really pretty telling. All right. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. Another one from Ray Valero. Thank you so much. It says Avenesian also beat Peterson. There you go. There you go. So a win over Avenesian is light years better than a win over Peterson. And I get it. Styles make fights, triangle theories, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't always work. I'm just saying Bud Crawford's welterweight run, I think, is underappreciated because he wasn't fighting PBC guys. Uh, that's a shame. That's a shame. And by the way, we sh no one should be calling Errol Spence a fraud. No one should be calling Stephen Fulton a fraud. These guys are good fighters. They're good fighters. They're just not great. That's it. And another thing, um, I got to mention this. I, I overlooked this on my notes. The car accident. I've seen several people saying, well, Errol Spence ain't the same after the car accident. You know, and, and if... If he would have fought Bud before the car accident, then it might have, it would have been a different fight. Guys, the car accident was in 2019. That's four years ago. It's not like his shit happened last week. Y'all are acting like it happened last week or something. It was four years ago. It's before he fought the Garcias, Porter, Ugas. He beat those guys. It's not like it just happened. He's had four years to recover from it. I don't think the car accident had a damn thing to do with what took place Saturday in Las Vegas. You know what I think had more to do with it? Are you ready for this? Some of you ain't ready to hear this. Inactivity. <clears throat> Fighting twice in almost four years. Yeah, I've said that about 40 times on this show. I'm going to say it 40 more times because it matters. Stephen Fulton fought once last year, coming off a 13-month layoff, going up against his best opponent in his backyard. How do you think that's going to work out? There is a track record of these fighters, particularly over at PBC, who do not fight often enough. And they're not being developed against the absolute best opposition. They're fighting in controlled situations. So when they finally fight that elite level opposition, things don't go very well. Deontay Wilder had opportunities to face other heavyweights didn't happen when he finally got in there and fought Tyson Fury he was exposed Fury's laziness and defensive lapses combined with Wilder's right hand power almost bailed him out a couple of times but in terms of rounds Wilder hardly won a few other than the rounds where he knocked Fury down he hardly won a few in their three fight series there are so many examples I could give you guys of these matchups it's it's undeniable at this point. So I think Spence being chronically inactive 
and also not facing elite level opposition cost him against Terrence Crawford. Crawford didn't fight the absolute best opposition either because he was being shut out. It wasn't his fault. So, so which, you, you know, you guys want to have it both ways. Oh, it was the car accident. You should have fought him before the car accident. They wanted to. Your guys shut them out. Do I have to show the, let me show the graphic again. Here we go. Showing the graphic again. They wanted to fight before the car accident. Your guys pretended he didn't exist. Stop making it about the damn car accident. That and the, Oh, Spence was weight drained. Really? He's fought his entire career at welterweight. Never once had an issue making weight. Never once. Never missed weight. Held three different titles. Those sanctioning organizations had no issue uh, sanctioning him for their belts at welterweight. Never had an issue making weight. But suddenly against Crawford, he had an issue making weight. Did he look like a drained fighter to you during the fight? Sure didn't to me. He was pushing hard in the second half of the fight after taking an ass whooping. That takes incredible conditioning. The one thing about Derek James, he has his fighters fight ready. Those guys, they go through hard sparring. They're ready to fight. Spence was in amazing shape for this fight against Crawford. Those of you, those of you get mad at me and you're saying, you saying Spence is overrated. That discounts what Crawford did. No fuck nuts. You saying Spence was weight drained in a car accident ruined him. That disrespects what Crawford did. Fucking idiots. I'm the one telling you the truth about this. Spence is a good fighter, just not pound for pound. That's it. And we saw the proof of that this weekend. What, what else do you need to see for it to click? All right. Aaron Gortman with another super chat. Thank you so much. He says, Mike, in all honesty, Showtime PBC needs to get rid of its overly, overtly political guys like Espinoza and Bernstein rebrand to bipartisan like CNN is trying to do. Um, I hear you, bro. Um, look, I, I think the entire media apparatus needs to do that. Uh, and listen, there's nothing wrong with being a left winger, a right winger for the 5,000th time. I consider myself a classical liberal, a classical old fashioned liberal on most social issues. I, I'm cool with people living their life and doing their thing, man. And I staunchly support the rights of the individual over the collective. That's classic liberalism. Okay. Um, I don't care what you identify with politically, just leave the shit out of your business decisions. And for guys like Espinoza and Bernstein works for that brand. And I like Al. Al's always been cool to me. Unlike Steven Espinoza, who's a piece of shit. Al's cool to me. Never had an issue with Al. But you guys are selling a product to, where you're, you're charging a subscription fee. So to ostracize half of the country for their personal beliefs, not only is it bigoted and beneath you, as very successful, privileged people um, who are worth seven figures. You know, you're among the top one-tenth of a percent of uh, income earners in the world. Um, it, it, it's just, it's, it's just bad business. It's just bad business. <clears throat> all right, let me make sure I got all these. You guys got some good super chats today, man. You're giving me a lot to think about. 
guys, we got some awesome listeners on this show, man. Ah. Okay. Oh, you know what? Soap boxing podcast. Um, who knows his shit and is plugged into the system. And I mean, that in a good way, he, he has a great comment here. He says, you know, I was there. Spence was 160 pounds, five weeks out. Wasn't a weight loss camp, Mike. Thank you. Spence was in great shape for this fight. Physically looked every bit as good as he always does. Um, you know what I didn't talk about? I, I think I skipped over this. And I'm sorry I'm spending so long talking about this, but it just deserves a full breakdown. Going back to that fight, the second round, when Errol Spence got dropped, because people made a big deal out of this, like that that knockdown changed the fight. No, it didn't. It was just part of the, the um, inevitable outcome of the fight, honestly. Spence lunged forward with a punch, missed, was off balance. All his weight was on the front foot. The first thing you learn in boxing when you're a, a kid and you go to a real boxing gym, they're not even going to let you throw a punch for the first couple of weeks. It's all footwork. It's learning how to walk again, right? Walk like a fighter. Walk like a fighter walks. Um, where you keep your weight on that back foot so that if you get pushed back, you got some, some balance. Spence made a fundamental mistake that's taught to five-year-olds in a boxing gym. He lunged forward, missed, all his weight was on that front foot. So all Crawford had to do, Crawford didn't even counter with, with a hard power punch. He just hit him with a jab. That's all it was. But he could have literally just flicked him with his finger and Spence would have knocked over because he was completely off balance. That's all it was. And at that point, Spence, or I'm sorry, Crawford had figured out the distance. He knew just how much to step back where he could still touch Spence coming in. He also did some beautiful work defensively and some great crafty stuff on the inside. Um, you know, generally speaking, fighters have ear mitts with their guard, right? And Crawford did fight like that, um, especially like at mid-range. But at certain distances, he did what I call like a crossover guard, where you bring that um, that rear hand back to the front side of your face. So as a southpaw, it'd be your, uh, your left hand over on the right side of your face. And he would do that <clears throat> to catch power punches from Spence. He could still pull back and catch a hook, but he could also catch jabs and, and, and uh, straight left hands from, from Spence right there. But he had that front, that lead arm free. So he could do work with that. He could move Spence where he wanted him to. He could land that jab. He could counter with it right? And then he could come over the top with the left hand if he wanted to after that. So he was doing a lot of great crafty stuff that I think a lot of people are just overlooking. And in the end, the difference in ring IQ and craft was so vast. And even in the corners, the difference between corners, Bomack had a beautiful game plan. You could tell he did his homework. He had a beautiful game plan. They made an adjustment in that second round and then just went the cruise control. And all Crawford did was use Spence's fundamental flaws and mistakes against him. That's all he did. It's not like he was really stepping on the gas and, and taking a lot of chances. He just used this guy's mistakes against him. And Derek James had no adjustments. Basically, in a corner, he'd just say, keep doing what you're doing. Just do it. Just do it faster. Do it harder. Go forward. Throw more punches. You know, push him back. Push him back. Dude, that wasn't working. That was not working. Um, so I, I think we need to mention that again. I just think Crawford's craft was unbelievable in this fight. 
And what Spence did in this fight was pretty much what he does in every fight. Guys, go back and watch his fights against the Garcias, against Ugas, against uh, Porter, against Brooke, okay, before the accident. Go back and watch those fights. He lunges forward. He puts all the way on the front foot. So he, he would do things like that and have these fundamental lapses, but he'd get away with it because he'd be he close if, if let's say he missed a shot. Let's say Spence lunged forward and missed a shot. He would get on the inside right there. He closed the distance. He'd push forward. And he was physically bigger and stronger than all of his opponents, except for Sean Porter, maybe, <clears throat> where he could get away with that shit. And he could push them back on the inside and do what he had to do to get his balance back. It worked against Sean Porter enough because Sean Porter just isn't as skilled and as good as Errol Spence. But against Terrence Crawford, those types of errors and mistakes, they're going to cost you. They're going to cost you. And so Spence was able to get away with doing these things for years because of the opposition he was facing. As I mentioned, controlled situations against smaller, blown-up fighters or guys who don't punch very hard or can't match him in a physical uh, skill set department. So when he finally gets in there against the guy who can match him in every department, those things get exposed. So, yes, what I saw this weekend is a very good welterweight get dominated by a great welterweight. I don't know if that very good welterweight is a pound-for-pound level guy. Okay, that's what I'm saying. <clears throat> that's not me hating. I'm providing my reasons for why I think that. <clears throat> Savage with another super chat. Thank you. He says, what changed the fight? Was Crawford completely nullifying Spence's jab and timing it perfectly? Yes. And he was able to do that because, again, uh, did, by the way, guys, did Spence throw one feint in the entire fight? Did he change levels once? In the entire fight, I don't recall him changing levels or throwing one feint. Everything he did was programmed. Crawford, to your point, Savage, timed him. But also, if you if you look, he was moving backward at times to get his distance right. And once he got Spence's distance in timing, in like spacing and angles and all that, he was just sharpshooting. And Spence made zero adjustments. He just kept doing the same thing. Over and over and over. This was Spence basically giving himself up to Crawford for nine rounds because there was not one difference in tactic. Again, go back and watch. There were no feints, just, just nothing. So, okay. Uh, by the way, a couple of fights this weekend. Neither of them are really, in my opinion, worth talking about that much, but Saturday, August 5th in Dallas, Texas on the zone, Jake Paul fighting Nate Diaz, uh, and a get back fight for Paul. And then in Brooklyn on Showtime, Irislandi Lara defending his WBA regular belt. Remember, we don't recognize the WBO, but the WBA regular good to go against Danny Garcia. Wow. Trying to get Danny another belt in another weight class. Huh? We all know who the legitimate Middleweight champ. Well, not actually middleweight. Actually, yeah, let me take that back. Middleweight is a complete shit show. So I'm not even going to go there. <clears throat> but the winner of this fight obviously is not the top middleweight in the world. All right. Um, let's take a couple calls. We'll try to, guys, we're going to have to go through these fairly quickly. 
And then, um, yeah, we're almost at an hour and a half. So let's get, let's rip through some of these calls quickly. Okay. Um, first one is nine Oh four. What's up? You're on the show. Hey, Mike, it's Trey. How are you? Yo, Trey, what's up, man? How you doing? Hey, I'm uh, also known as the co-host of the Neutral Corner Podcast. Yeah, yeah. Good times. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, you know, you, of course, said everything perfectly from, you know, what we did on Saturday as well. But just a couple things that you and I talked about that maybe you didn't mention that I had written down. Just Bud was just different this week, if y'all saw the you know, all the lead up to the fight, he's very vulgar at the press conferences, just very it's different than I've seen. Yeah, you know, anyone can correct me if I'm wrong, but he was going after not Spence so much, but just the, the team. Yes. And, and so much profanity and stuff. It, it was great. And then he gave it to him in the ring. He was dialed in, man. He was dialed in. This was his moment. They made him wait so long. It's kind of like Fulton and his team, when they dissed in a way, it worked against them. Cause I think it inspired in a way to go harder. And I think this five-year buildup for Crawford, it would have broke other men. Other men would have gotten lazy and found a way to mess it up, but he stayed focused and he used all that energy uh, and the emotion against Spence this weekend. And boy, did he take it out in his ass. Big time. And, and when we saw, you know, obviously I mentioned on Friday, and like you said, those weights, uh, when when they do the when they do the weigh-ins now, it's behind closed doors. That that's scary for anybody that's you know betting on these fights. But it's the way they do it now, so get used to it. But then seeing Bud in the ring, he wasn't even sweating. Like that's usually a bad sign for boxers. But uh, yeah, he was ready. Yeah, yeah, he was absolutely ready to go, man. Um, I, I think both guys were in shape, on weight. Like it just. We saw, in my opinion, the best version of these two fighters. It's just one guy was a lot better than the other. That's it. Yeah. And we, we were worried, you know, the first that first round was the typical feel-out round. You know, beginning of the second kind of looked similar to the first until that flash knockdown. We were worried about that board fest. I'll, I'll admit it, I'll eat crow. I told everybody all week, bet over 10 and a half. This thing's going the distance. And Me too. Man, am I glad I'm wrong. Yeah, man. I, I was... <laughs> I got the right guy. I mean, I thought that Crawford, remember I said Crawford would win seven rounds and boy, I look, you know, even though I got the right guy, I, I still feel like an idiot. I, I was, he, he won eight <laughs> rounds of a nine round fight. So, so um, I just, it was complete dominance, man. And, and honestly, maybe I bought a little bit into the talk of Spence's welterweight experience against these top welterweights and, Bud not fighting top welterweights. But again, I'm looking back at these two resumes. They're not all that different, man. Honestly. And the guy who's fought more in the last three, four years and against better fighters, better welterweights, is actually Bud. It's actually Bud. And then you you showed, the, I don't know what the media term is, Chiron or whatever that still is, where they continue to show the best welterweights in the world. And, you know, it wasn't for all the five years, but you've got to think. They probably had three or four different Showtime welterweight made events almost yearly, and they would not show Bud. They yeah. just didn't want to show him, and he had a belt a lot of that time. Yeah, and it just to me, that's just indefensible. I can't think of any other time that that has happened. Um, for for years, there were there was a cold war between Bob Arum and Don King, right? And then it was uh, HBO versus Showtime. So there's been these battles in the past. But they never, I've never seen anything like that 
where you're leaving off the guy uh, off a graphic who many consider to be the absolute best in the division, no less than number two in the division, and you're purposely leaving him off, and yet you're showing two WBA title holders, so you're justifying the fuckery going on at the WBA. Like, it was just, dude, that was really, really bad. Really, really bad. If I were Steven Espinoza, if I were Sam Watson, I would make a public statement like on Twitter or sorry, X and, and just say, this was wrong. We'll never do this again. This was wrong. We made a mistake. We're going to own it, learn from it. We apologize to boxing fans and to Terrence Crawford. That would be smart business for them to do. The, the only way that ever happens, uh, you know, pigs got to fly, obviously, but they got to <laughs> sign, but that's the only way they would ever do that. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. Well, anyway, that's, that's all I got. I'm ready to start the uh, Red Corner versus Blue Corner podcast whenever you are. <laughs> all right, Trey. I appreciate it, man. Have a good one, brother. All right. Love, love to the fam. All right, man. Love to the fam. All right. There he goes. Um, yeah, Trey was actually uh, here with me watching the fight Saturday night. And then when I went live, he was just sitting here off uh, on the side. And uh, he jumped in a couple times and was uh, saying things, but uh, it was fun, man. And we were really, really surprised um, at just how easy Bud was starting to make it look. And at one point, um, I went upstairs to get my wife because she was sleeping. And she told me to come check on her um, during the, the fight and see if she wanted to come watch it. So I go upstairs, you know, and I'm tapping her on the shoulder. Baby, you know, the fight's on. Do you want to come watch it? And I could hear Trey downstairs saying, Mike, he's going to knock him out. He's going to knock him out. And I'm like, oh, shit, oh, shit, oh, shit. I'm like tap, tapping my wife on the shoulder. Like, hey, come on, do you want it? She don't want to get up. Uh, so I ran back downstairs and I was like, holy hell, he is going to knock him out. Uh, it was just crazy. I was not expecting that. All right, let's jump back to the phones real quick. Uh, we got Nacho on the line. What's up, Nacho? Hey, Mike. Uh, what's up? Just uh, listening to your uh, little rant there about uh, – uh, good old Spence's resume. Um, I got into it yesterday with some joker um, who claimed uh, that he basically called you out on that stuff and that you never responded. And I was like, I don't know why he didn't respond, but I basically made the same argument you did, Mike, and that um, to me, Danny Garcia is one of the most overrated welterweights ever because when your resume contains wins over guys, like Bam Bam Rios, Robert the Ghost Guerrero, and Adrian Granados, I'm sorry. You can't sit there and tell me that you're an elite welterweight or even a good welterweight when everybody who you beat in the division are all smaller guys they brought up. Exactly. And I don't know who this person is or what they said, but chances are I probably muted him a while ago and I didn't even see what the hell he said. That's a lot of these guys are like Montero didn't even respond to me. Yeah, because I muted you, dumbass. Yeah, <laughs> that's why. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah. So you know, I just kind of went back and forth with this clown. Like he had the audacity to sit there and say Danny Garcia was elite or even a good welterweight, and I said, "Bro, you're crazy. He absolutely does not have the resume to even say he's a good welterweight." Like, stop. You're and right. so at that point, I just kind of lost respect for this guy because, you know, he's out here insisting that this dude is uh, is a, an elite or really good welterweight, and he wasn't. And so the fact that you literally have the same take, I mean, that just basically made my day, seeing that I'm not the only one who thinks 
of Danny Garcia in that way. Um, and then uh, just real quick about the fight, um, or the card, I'm sorry. Uh, Cruz Cabrera, that was god-awful to watch, Mike. Um, I hope I never see uh, Cabrera in a, in a big-time card anytime soon. That kid was just, he fought like a scared rabbit in there. Uh, the fact that they made that fight as close as they did, I, I just couldn't believe it. I thought Cruz won that fight based on the fact that he was the aggressive guy going for it. And Cabrera never did anything in my mind to win more than maybe two rounds. And the fact that they had it as close as they did, I was just shocked. But I'll, I hope I don't see Cabrera on a big-time pay-per-view card anytime soon. Um, Donaire Santiago, I think Donaire has had a great career. I've always liked watching him fight, but I think it's time for him to finally hang him up. The guy he fought, he should have beat him, and he probably would have beat him a few years ago. But you saw on Saturday, he had the openings, but he just couldn't pull the trigger anymore. And he was getting beat to the punch consistently all night. Yep. Hopefully, you know, he, he recognizes that it's time, and he rides off into the sunset. And in five years, he'll be a first ballot Hall of Famer for sure. Absolutely. So, I, I hope that's what ends up happening. And then just on the main event, Mike, like you said, we all felt that it was going to be a lot more competitive than it ended up being. But we never thought we would see this level of destruction by Crawford against Spence. We really were just, I think a lot of us were just blown away at the de the, the decisiveness as to how easily Crawford handled him and how easily he took him apart. I mean, the only other fight I can think of that I've ever seen where it was that one-sided, even though we all felt it was 50-50 going in, was uh, Barrera versus Hamed. That's really the only other fight I can think of that was that one-sided where, where both guys were, you know, at their peak and one guy was just clearly better than the other. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it was just an awesome performance. Um, like you said, Crawford got his vindication. and. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see what he does. I don't foresee the the, the rematch happening. I can't imagine that Derek James and Spence's brain trust are going to ask him to take that fight again right away. If they were smart, they would forego it, move to 54, get Spence a couple of wins at 54, maybe go after a bell. But yeah, I can't imagine they want to see him get beat down again uh, in a rematch right away. That, that would be career suicide if they did that, in, in my opinion. And for Bud, I mean, at this point, it, the only thing that he can do is just clear out the rest of the guys in the division uh, who are left. But, I mean, I, do you think he sticks around long enough to do it, Mike? I mean, I could see Boots, yeah. Danny Onis, maybe a couple other guys. But then eventually he might move up to 54 as well. But I don't know. I, I guess time will tell to see what he decides to do if if he, he doesn't fight Spence again, we'll see what his next move will be. So, all right, Mike, I'm sure you got other people. I'll keep you on the line too long. All right. Thanks, Nacho. I appreciate it. All right. Yeah. Thanks. Uh huh. Yeah. I could see Crawford maybe fighting Stanley Onis or someone like that, but um, I can't see him fighting Boots. I, I just don't think that fight's going to happen. Um, but if he does, that, that'd be amazing. That really would. If he is going to fight Boots, do it now instead of like a couple years from now. Do it now. Uh, while he's still green, because I think at this point, Crawford just is too much for him. Sam with the super chat. Thank you so much, Sam. He says, Terrence is a proud guy with a chip on his shoulder. 
He was not going to agree to being a team player to get a trilogy. I knew that in new TC by KO. Uh, guys, and Sam Sam knows his shit. He goes to a lot of fights. He knows his shit. Uh, I think that's a great point, man, because um, I, I think clearly with the rematch clause and everything that they're doing with the belts at 54 and everything, I think it's clear what PBC's business plan here was. They wanted Spence to get a close win here and then do that rematch next year at 154 once all those titles are blown up. And, of course, the WBC would have sanctioned it for their belt or something. You know, uh, we all know that was going to be the, the plan. And um, I, Crawford, to your point, Sam, he doesn't play around with shit like that. I, I think he probably realized, man, these guys have fucked me for years. This game is nasty. These dudes will screw you any any chance they get. So even if the plan is to do a rematch, they might lie to me. They might not do the rematch. They might mess with my money. I'm just going to take care of business tonight. Forget about the damn rematch. And so he put his legacy and his pride above getting an extra payday. Uh, just, just amazing because not many fighters these days would do that. So again, once again, Terrence Crawford, pound for pound, number one fighter in the world right now. Um, and I, we're looking at a special fighter. We really are. Super chat from Miguel Alexis Arguello. Oh, wow. He says, uh, well, thank you. He says, uh, Derek James gets too much credit as a trainer. Bomac doesn't get enough. Uh, they thought they just have a game plan. The same game plan as usual. Big mistake. Yeah, I, I'm with you. Um, again, Derek James has his fighters fight ready. They're ready to go. They, they are, they've got good sparring, and they're ready to scrap. They're ready to bump, as they say. But there really isn't a whole lot of uh, adjustments being made. And there's not really a plan B or C that I can detect. So um, in, in this fight, they kind of just try to do the same thing they did against the, the B-level PBC welterweights. And I'm going to call them that because I think these guys were all overrated. To Nacho's point, Danny Garcia, get the fuck out of here. Mikey Garcia, he was a good featherweight, really good featherweight. When he was with top rank, by the way, being developed by them. But uh, everything at lightweight and above was smoke and mirrors. Um, Peterson, blown up lightweight. On and on and on, I could go. Sean Porter, a pretty good fighter, but not elite. Spence was able to get away with that stuff against those fighters. But when he got in there against a truly elite level operator, that got exposed. And, and I'm with you. Bomack had a, a beautiful game plan for this fight. I think that's why Bud came out from the opening bell as a southpaw. And I think um, they definitely did their homework. They just did their homework for this fight. It showed. All right, let's get a couple more calls, guys. I can't get too many more calls. I got the baby to feed. You know, I got to help the wife out. So uh, we'll do a couple more. Let's go to 336 on the show. What's up? Yo, Mike, what's the word, bro? Oh, BLT, what's up, man? It's been a long time. Yeah, yo, yo, yo. Yeah, it's been a minute, man. You see, I sent you that email, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I, I watched the fight. When I said, what the fuck, I was talking about the anyway fight. Oh, yeah, right. But yeah. I didn't say that. But that's what I'm talking about. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, anyway, uh, things that happen are uh, supposed to happen. I've been watching boxing since the seventies, bro. And you just get a feeling with some of these guys. Some of these men, they just they just have something extra. They just have something special. 
and Crawford in a way. These couple of guys, they doing it. I never expected their opposition to win. I didn't even think Spence was going to give him a good fight. Yo, Crawford, you know who Crawford reminds me of? Tommy Hearns, for sure, Tommy. Yo, he's a cobra, son. When yeah. that motherfucker pops in, it's no joke. Yeah, it's, he it's crazy. Man. Your motherfucking ass. For he's him to be a guy you. that moved up from lightweight into be punching like that at welterweight, and I Yo. tell you, man, it's because he's, he's so accurate. He's so accurate. Oh, he reminds me of Tommy, man. Yeah, yeah, I can he's see that. Hearns. That just the accuracy, that speed, that and that, that same killer, Boom, that same killer instinct, man. Yeah. yeah, yo, yo. But anyway, yo, man, it's been a good weekend. I feel real good, man. Me too. I don't know. I, I it's good fights. People whether they supposed to win and how they supposed to win was no bullshit decision. Yeah, great. As you said, enjoy that. <laughs> <laughs> I will, man. It's gonna yo, be a good man. week. It's going to be a good week. Yo, man, I'm going to get off the phone because you might want to get somebody else. Ciao. All right, thanks My a lot. Ciao, man. I'm going to hang out with some Italian, bro. I'm going to talk to Italian on you in a minute. All right, all right. Yeah. I'll teach you, I'll teach you some, uh, some bad words in Italian, man. All right. <laughs> all right, cool. All right, man. Peace, my brother. Ciao, brother. There we go. It's BLT. We had him on the show in a while, man. Uh, C-Lot just corrected me. He said, Peterson isn't a blown-up lightweight. His brother was. Lamont came up from 140. I appreciate that, C-Lot. Thank you for correcting me because I said that multiple times. Um, so Lamont was a blown-up junior welterweight. How about that? I corrected myself. Or you corrected me, and I corrected myself. So um, uh, thank you for that. Thanks, guys. And I appreciate when you guys correct me because it's hard in a live show, and sometimes – you guys know I start ranting and I go off the cuff and just sometimes you misspeak. So I appreciate that, bro. All right, let's get, we're going to get one more call guys. We got so many calls guys. I'm sorry. Maybe we could do another show later this week. Um, but I, I, by the way, I always answer the calls in order. Okay. So I, I'm never going to skip ahead and get somebody else in the queue unless it's like a special guest or something. But um, I always answer the calls in order. So so if, if I'm leaving you on hold and I'm not getting to your call, it's not me hating. It's not me picking and choosing who I'm going to talk to. I just answer them in order. All right, guys, uh, <clears throat> real quick before I take this last call. And I think, by the way, it's Omar is going to be the last call. So Omar, if you're on the line, it's going to be you. Uh, Sam with another super chat. Thanks again, Sam. He says, I saw Kenny Porter after the fight and said, you saved your son. Why did they let Arrow get ruined with a rematch? Or Ask Ben Davidson also with Lee Wood. Uh, Sam, that's another fantastic point. And, and look, Kenny Porter took a lot of shit for stopping that fight with Bud. Um, and, and he did the right thing. That's his son in there. He absolutely did the right thing. And I think, listen, uh, Derek James should have stopped the fight a round or two before. Why not? Especially if you have potentially a lucrative rematch on the line. Um, why would you do that? Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? Put it on you. But a lot of guys just don't have the balls to uh, take that heat. And Kenny Porter does. He's a real one. He's a real-ass dude and a, a good guy, by the way. And so he, he kind of took the heat to save his son. As a father myself, <laughs> I can say I would do – I would absolutely do that for my kids. So, um, and I got, yeah, Ben Davidson with Lee Wood, another good example. These guys are too brave, um, you got to think about your fighter's safety and health, man. You just do. 
But look, Mark Breland saved Deontay Wilder's life potentially. And look, it cost him his job. Remember that? It's crazy, man. Just crazy. Okay, one more call, guys. We're going to go to 201. I think this is Omar. Uh, You're on the show. What's up? My brother from another. What's (laughs) What's going on, man? Good. How you doing? (laughs) Uh, Tell him, bro. Um, The crazy-ass weekend. What this fight told me basically was just that there's levels to this. Nothing less, nothing more. I mean, I've been adamant saying that Crawford was just way too much of a better fighter. And not even that. It's just like this guy moves like a cat. I don't know, other than Mayweather, like, who's a better counterpuncher than Terrence Crawford? You know, I just don't see anybody matching up to his skill level at all. Now, it's it's interesting what you were saying about the car accident with Spence, though, because... Like, I saw an interview with uh, Roy Jones, and they were, at, they, they were, like, asking his assessment of what he thought, and he said, I know, like, the accident was a few years ago, whatever, but, um, like, when you when you fly through a car over 100 miles an hour, you can't tell me you're the same person. That's Which, a great point. Yeah, you're right. Like, logically, it, it, like, it makes sense. You get you're me? Right. But I'm not, because this is what I'm trying to say. I don't think, let's say that car accident never happened. I think Crawford still wins, but it'll probably go to a decision. Because, like, Roy kind of made, like, a good point. He's like, look at Errol Spence's face. Like, how red it was. Like, like, like that something was not normal the way, like, he, he bled up so quick. But then I'm thinking, so, well, he went through a war kind of with Sean Porter, right? I mean, he went through kind of like a war with Ugas, but he wasn't really getting tapped in the face like that. It was more like body shots. And a lot of the shots that he did get hit in the head was like more, mostly like on the side of his head. It wasn't really like a clean face shot. But I mean, that's, that's like, that's something like I thought about, like, yeah, you know, it, it kind of makes sense. But I mean, either way you put it, like Crawford was just a, is just the better fighter. And I, that just says it now. What I'm, what I'm curious about is what happens now. And I think, that, I think his next fight is going to be probably against like one of the Charlo brothers. Mm. And, um, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up fighting both of them. But um I'm wondering where like Spence goes from here as well. Like I like you I know, know he's know, obviously bro. gonna have to take a lot of time off. Yeah, he, he obviously is to take the rest of the year off. But to your point, man, and look, you do make a very good point. I think that we're never gonna know what the car accident did. We're never going to know just right. how much it took out of him, or, you know. Um, but he was good enough to get through Porter, you know, th- that level of fighter. But I let me ask you this: When I say that he was mm-hmm. overrated as a pound for pound level guy, does the car accident change any of that in your mind? Because if he wasn't the same dude, remember this was four years ago, 2019, he gets in that car accident. If he wasn't the same guy after that, why yeah. is he rated pound for pound number four in the world? Well, because he's a PBC guy. There you go. Okay. I mean, we know that. It's, it's, okay. it's obvious. I mean, to guys like me and you, it's obvious. Okay. But, I mean, what other reason? I mean, but, like, we got to be, let's, let's, because I consider you probably, like, the fairest boxing podcast in the world. I appreciate that. We, we To play devil's advocate to that, we could say that about a lot of guys today. Yeah. And they're mostly all PBC. Yeah. You know how I came to this assessment that Spence had no chance? Because look at his match with Kell Brook and then look at Terrence Crawford's match with Kell Brook. 
look at the Sean Porter fights. And yeah, and then, yeah, stylistically, yes, style makes fights and every, you know, you're not going to, it's not the same thing. It's not going to come into fruition. It's obvious, but you look at the performance and you look at how competitive it was. Cause without a doubt, this fight was 10 times better than Mayweather Pacquiao. Oh my but God. Yes. It wasn't competitive. <laughs> yeah. 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 It wasn't competitive. It wasn't. And I'm, I'm happy and I'm pissed at the same time because I had like 12 parlays and DraftKings. That oh. All of them had Terrence Crawford winning by decision. And he ends up knocking this guy out. And the one I do have him winning by decision, Nonito Donaire loses on me, but it's okay. Ah, um, yeah, man, it sucks. But it's just that, yeah, I don't, I don't see anybody right now at all like touching Crawford. And it's just, it's, I kind of like have a sense like where this is going to lead up to. And I'm not, this is <laughs> probably going to piss a lot of people off, but you know, and like, Thing. There's gonna be. Oh, Omar dropped. Omar, wow, he dropped right before his call dropped right before he was gonna say what he was gonna say. Damn, dog. All right, you're gonna have to call back next week, Omar. I don't know what just happened to your phone. You're going through a tunnel or some shit. But uh, wow, right when he was about to make his point, boom, that is a knockdown, brother. Get up from that knockdown. Dust yourself off. And call back next week. All right, guys. Um, by the way, uh, Boxing Talk with Joe Garcia says that the Lara versus Garcia fight is not happening this week and it's been delayed. Wow. Well, you know what? Dozens of people will be disappointed. On that note, all right, guys. Hope you enjoyed this episode. I wonder how many people I succeeded in triggering today. Probably a lot. That means I did my job. All right, guys. Uh, we'll do it again next week. Maybe another show later this week. It depends on my schedule and all that, okay? Uh, great super chats, great calls today as always, guys. I love you. Peace out. We'll do it soon. We'll do it again soon. <laughs>